Welcome to the Press On Podcast. I am so excited you're here. My name is Justin. And, and don't forget, if you want to get our brand new Keep Pressing On t-shirt, just make sure you go to pressonbrand.com. Help support our new clothing line. We hope to have new designs out this spring, uh, but it all is dependent on how well our first shirts do. Um, so make sure you go get yourself a shirt um, today. Yeah. And, and so, hey... We ended Jonah last week, and this week I was trying to figure out what I wanted to talk about next. What what portion of scripture should we go through? And then just a couple days ago, I was listening to a message, and this preacher, like, he was making a good point. His main idea was a solid point that I 100% agree with, but what I didn't agree with was how he came about that point. He, he took scripture, uh, a story in scripture, a story in the Old Testament that had nothing to do with what he was trying to say, and he kind of manipulated it into making it about what his main point was. And again, I agreed with his main point. I just wish he would have used actual biblical uh, text to back it up because there is a lot to back up what he was trying to say. Uh, But it made me realize that we've come to a place in Christianity, especially in American Christianity, where where we take Scripture and we make it to be what we want it to be. We use it like Plato and we form it into what we have in mind, but, but I think that's dangerous. More importantly, I think the Word of God is even more powerful when we can use it as it was meant to be. And, you know, we could get on a lot of topics like uh, which translation is the best. Is it, uh, is it the New King James Version or is it something more easily understandable? Or, or should we all just go back and learn Hebrew and Greek and, and study Scripture the way that it was meant to be written? And, and we could talk all day about that. Um, but I firmly believe that God has placed people in time to to translate the Bible into different, uh, more understandable translations. With that being said, I think we need to check those translations against other translations and even refer back to Hebrew and Greek. You don't have to know the whole language to, to do some research on the internet to understand what you are reading. And so it's really got me thinking this week about the the use of Scripture and how we tend to use Scripture. And so for the next couple weeks, I just want to take some Bible verses that we tend to use out of context that have nothing to do with what we think it does um, and really bring some light into what these verses are talking about. And hopefully, uh, like most of Scripture does for my life, when we really dive into its true meaning, it becomes even more powerful than what we were trying to form it into be, to be. Um, and so this week, I want to talk about this verse. And, and you'll often hear this verse either when somebody's doing a welcome at church or wor- leading worship, or maybe the pastor will say it when he gets up and he's just really feeling on fire. Uh, and I, I almost can guarantee every one of us have heard this in some church setting before. It's, hey, Hey, so glad you're here, guys. You know what scripture says, where two or three are gathered, there I will be. God is in this place. He's moving because there's there's so many of us here today. And I get the heart of that. I get that that God rejoices when we're together and we're worshiping together. But that's not what that verse is talking about. Early on in my my Christian days and thinking about like how I would have thought about it today, uh, that verse makes it sound like like, 
if there's more than one person together and they're fellowshipping, that's where God dwells. But but as a single guy who lives on his own, does that mean that God's not with me most of the time? Like, it just doesn't make sense. And so you have to kind of look back at context. And when we say context, we're, we're just saying, hey, look at what happens before this verse. What happens after this verse? What is this, what is this section of Scripture talking about? Not just what's right before and right, right after. What is this chapter about? What is this whole book about? Um, and you start to dive into context, and you really start to grapple uh, what this verse is really talking about. And you don't have to move very far in Scripture to really understand this verse. It actually starts in Matthew chapter 18, but we're going to back up a couple of verses to, to 15. Verse 15, Jesus says this, If your brother or sister sins, go point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that in every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Here it is. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for it. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And so essentially Jesus is saying, hey, if you have a brother or sister that you know is caught up in sin, you you go to them. You have a one-on-one conversation. And if they continue in on that sin, then you, you bring another person or maybe two other people with you and you guys have a conversation with them. And it's this idea of accountability. It's this idea of uh, trying to help each other through our, our sins. And and so Jesus is saying, hey, when, when there's multiple of you talking, confronting uh, this other believer, I will be there with you to err on the side of judgment. There There's this idea of accountability when more than one person comes along. And so it has really nothing to do with God is present when there's multiple people uh, worshiping. It's more about this idea of confronting somebody that is stuck in a pattern of sin. Now, along with that topic, I think it's important to talk about this idea of how do we confront people with sin? Uh, What's the best approach? Is that our job to do? Uh, And all those things that come along with it. And first of all, I will say I think it is our job. As Christians, we want to see our brothers and sisters following Jesus with their whole heart. And so if we know that a brother or sister is caught in sin, and we are, this is key, we are in a relationship with that person, like we know them really well, uh, I think it's our job to lovingly, and emphasis on lovingly, confront them with that and say, man, you can't be doing this. This is not what God would want you to do. Now, why I say it's important that you have a relationship with them is is if I went to a church and I saw somebody across the room that I knew was, was stuck in a sin, say every weekend they're going out getting drunk. I don't think I've earned that place in that person's life to go up and say, hey man, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? Uh, because they're just going to shut down. It's when you develop a relationship, when when that person knows you actually care about them, then you can enter into their life 
and lovingly confront them. And it has to be lovingly. It can't be all harsh. Because again, you're just going to cause that other person to shut down. They're going to tune you out. They're going to do what they want anyway. So lovingly has to be involved. You know, I've made mistakes in my life. And when confronted, there was two sets of people who confronted me. Uh, one, you could tell they didn't really care about me or my best interest. They cared about them and their best interest and what was best in their eyes. But then there was people that walked along beside me and lovingly said, hey, you can't do this. And those are the people I cling to. Those are the people that, that made me change my mind and my thinking and my behaviors. It, it wasn't the other ones. So you have to have that relationship and you have to do it in a lovingly manner. But we also can't rule out what happens next. Because eventually, uh, in that passage that we read, uh, Jesus says, hey, if you bring a group along, they're still sinning. You tell it to the church, they're still sinning. Then you, you treat them like a pagan or an outsider, I believe is how he put it. Uh, a tax collector. Uh, <laughs> we don't really treat tax collectors any different today, but, but that's what Jesus is getting at is as a pagan or, or the tax collector was like the worst of the worst. You, you treat them as if they were one of those. But, but Jesus often tells us how we should treat those people, right? It's not as the world wants us to treat those people. I mean, he hung out and he had meals with Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector. Actually, Matthew, who wrote this, was a tax collector. And so, so Jesus' uh, level of caring for the outside world is way different. Yeah, you treat them like that, but it doesn't mean you stop caring for them. In fact, the very next section of, of Scripture, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Okay, but Lord, like, if somebody keeps hurting me over and over again, how many times do I have to forgive them? Like, seven times? That, that's a lot. And Jesus says this, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or some translations say seven times seven. It really doesn't matter what the math adds up to. Essentially, Jesus is saying, you keep forgiving. You keep loving and forgiving. And it goes back to kind of what we talked about last week. Jesus wants to see his body unified. Jesus wants to see the body of Christ not broken, not divided, but unified. And if we say we are Christians, there are going to be people who mess up and make mistakes. And if we're not willing to forgive them, if we're holding grudges, if we're unwilling to allow them to, to try to come back into our lives because we want to hold on to something that, that, that maybe they've hurt us, we want to hold on to that hurt, uh, we, we feel like we can't trust them. Jesus says, you keep forgiving because I forgave you. That's what Jesus wants for us. And so, yeah, this verse has nothing to do with worship. This verse has nothing to do with, with God showing up when people are fellowshipping together, which I, again, I think that's a great thing. But this verse is so much deeper than that. Jesus tells us to, to lovingly confront our brothers and sisters when they're caught in sin. But then he goes on to tell us that we need to forgive, forgive, forgive. I don't know about you, but, but that's heavy. That's a lot. That's a lot of pressure to know that, that I am tasked to, to, to hold my brothers and sisters accountable. It's heavy to know that, that others are, 
are tasked to hold me accountable. And it's really heavy to know that I have to keep forgiving and forgiving. But it's something Jesus calls us to do, and so I want to do it with my whole heart. And I hope you do too. And as you attempt, and as each and every day you get better and better at doing this, I hope you do one thing, and it's the same thing we encourage you to do each and every week, and that's to press on. Can't wait to see you guys next week. Until then, adios.